welcome to the Healthy Gospel Church podcast, a podcast where we explore all aspects of church life while also shining a spotlight on good practice in your local church. My name is David Meredith, I'm the Mission Director for the Free Church of Scotland based in Edinburgh and I'll be your host. If you like what you hear, then please like, share and subscribe. Spread the news. Very warm welcome to our latest edition of the Healthy Gospel Church podcast and uh, this is a new series and we've got a series of maybe six or eight um, in, in this particular um, very very short series. But but today is a very special treat. I've got two friends with me, uh, at least they are friends at this point. I hope they will be friends after our chat. Lewis and Sarah Alan, hi folks, can you tell us a little bit, first of all, Lewis, where, where you serve and a little bit of biography? Hi David, um, we are in Huddersfield at an FIC church called Hope Church. We moved from London to plant the church in 2010 uh, and we are blessed with nearly 28 years marriage and five children. Wow. So, Sarah, tell us where 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 are you from? How did you get to this point? The the two the two minute version. Yeah, from Yorkshire originally, uh, born in the county, moved away for university, and then um, with Lewis, surprisingly, moved back thirteen years ago. So, yeah, we've been settled here for thirteen years. Did you ever think you'd be back in Yorkshire, Sarah? Um, I think when we first thought about ministry, we did think we'd be heading north. Uh, we were really conscious of the of the needs in Yorkshire, which were distinct uh, and seemingly greater than those in London. There are fewer gospel preaching churches in this area. We did think maybe the Lord was calling us up here, but it didn't happen. We were settled happily in London. Um, and then that sense that maybe we should look again at, at the north of England came back. Okay, tell us a, a little bit about your church. What, what's it called? What sort of church is it? Uh, so we came with a vision to uh, plant a church which was Reformed and Baptistic, which was reaching regular Huddersfield people um, because of the kind of geography and the layout of the town. It's a it's a Pennine town with steep hills everywhere and little uh, parts of town which used to be villages, but now are you know part of the sort of the up and down hilly sprawl of the town. We knew we needed to to put a flag in the middle of town and meet centrally. Uh, we've been looking for a building for the best part of a decade. Uh, we've had some near misses, so we're still renting space in town, which has its blessings, but has its challenges and its frustrations. If you came on a Sunday, um, you'd see a church which is really well represented through the age ranges which is increasingly diverse socially and ethnically, which is thrilling and exciting, which in God's goodness is really bursting out of our seams of the building. It's quite comical, really. There just aren't enough chairs in the building anymore. So we might be topping out at approaching 1.70 in the mornings. I think we're the only church in town to meet regularly in the evenings, but I think our evening services track the general evangelical picture. There might be 40-50 on a good showing in the evening. We believe in church membership. So there are, I think, in the low 80s in membership at the moment. We sing the best of the old, the best of the new, and we come together to worship. We sing fantastically well and enthusiastically, and we're focused on preaching. I, my colleague, another leader, will preach a 30-minute sermon morning and evening. So we're doing nothing niche, yeah, nothing unusual. Yeah. It's been very, very slow, 
but we believe the Lord's in it. Yeah, I, I preached there a few years ago. You, you met in a kind of like, it was an old railway building. A, a That's really right, an old nice goods building, yeah. Post-industrial vibe about it. Um, yes. I, I, I loved it. Okay, so the, we're trying to focus our podcasts a little bit more on particular issues. Um, not real focus, but general focus, if that's not a contradiction. Um, so our, our theme today really is couples in, in ministry and what that looks like. Uh, increasingly now in, in broader evangelical circles, usually charismatic circles, even Joel Osteen's uh, caught on to it, folk talk about a joint pastor. So the assumption is that the pastor and his wife are equal pastors. So even if a woman has not had five minutes of theological training, she is a joint pastor with the guy. Um, what do you think about that? About that? Well, we've we've experienced this kind of attitude in our congregation. We've got people come to us from a Pentecostal background, and when Lewis has been for a for a pastoral visit, they've been, oh, but where's Sarah? They <laughs> think there's some, something missing that I'm not there. Um, mm. But yeah, not something that we're comfortable with. Uh, no, I personally don't see that as biblical. I think there's a call to eldership, a call to pastoral ministry, which is given to spiritually mature, maturing men in the congregation, that in no way, not at all, is it denigrate the giftings and the unique callings of women. Uh, but I think the call is to the man and part of his and the church, or even in some other circles of presbytery's discernment of the call is, you know, the willingness and the heart of the wife, if the man is married, for him to be set aside for eldership or the pastorate. So she comes with him as much as she is is willing and discerns God's call upon him. If she has gifts to serve, that's that's another matter. Okay, so I guess would a parallel be that if you went to the doctor and the doctor said, my wife's here as well, has she been to medical school? Hmm, nah, nah. Uh, she did a, you know, we would call a higher biology or an A-level a biology, but, you know. Um, and also there's no biblical parallel. Would you say that these were two good uh, arguments against it? Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think just pragmatically it can create a real a danger with power in the church that if a, if a husband and wife as a couple are are seen as holding equal power, that can be a really dominant uh, influence, uh, kind of excluding others. And I think particularly for other women in the congregation um, can be um, can mean that the kind of female voice is exclusively the pastor's wife's voice. I think it can be really create a very unhealthy dynamic. Yeah, I mean that that's such an interesting insight and, and counterintuitive because folk would say a female presence would soften the power and mm -hmm. empower women, but that's a really interesting thing. You you're saying no, it, it could be the exact opposite. Okay, having said that, okay, having said that, there's no formal joint pastorate. Mm -hmm. You've heard it, I've heard it, congregations are calling a, a new pastor, or in my tradition, a, a minister, and the phrase is often used, two for the price of one. To what extent is that good? To what extent is that bad? Uh, I think it's mostly bad. <laughs> because, okay. Yeah, because 
actually, if a, if a uh, if you're seen as getting a woman on the side as providing uh, extra work, which is uh, not really acknowledged, not really identified, and um, and it's not being remunerated if it's if it's a significant amount of work, then I think that that counters the kind of biblical uh, command really that the the worker deserves the wages. Um, so so if you're just thinking that the woman is there to to you know to to stump up lots of of time and energy, uh, then that that is not progressive is not helpful for the women's in general in the whole church in terms of what they see their role is and their value is um but it's also it's very difficult for that woman who is great expectations placed on her uh, but no real acknowledgement no formal acknowledgement no line management no support no help she's just there getting on with stuff Lewis, anything to add to that? If you're <laughs> so that was quite awesome, wasn't no, it? no I mean I, I believe this very strongly that um I think the wife's well-being, happiness and flourishing uh, is is really crucial in a happy, flourishing, long-term pastorate. And I think churches need to be extremely vigilant as to how they're honouring both the husband and the wife. Even if she's not salaried, her role is not formalised, anybody with five minutes Christian experience will see that she will take on a lot of the stresses being in a ministry home, um, and she'll be sensitive to the strain that her husband's under and that she needs to be supported with no assumptions made, supported emotionally and friendship-wise, with no assumptions made that they can get work out of her. She she may be a highly qualified neurosurgeon, in which case it'd be crazy that she's putting in additional hours in ministry which she hasn't really got. She may have a massive heart to serve, in which case the church should rejoice and as Sarah said, possibly thinking, how do we honour this service in, in remuneration or something like that? But so many pastorates are cut short because of the just the, the unhappiness year in, year out, um, experienced in the marriage and perhaps particularly by the wife because of the assumptions made upon her, which are not biblical and they're not kind and not Christian. Sure, I love that word kind. Is this two for the price of one comment particular to Presbyterianism or do you guys hear that? Oh, in, no, 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 we, we've, we've, we've seen it. We'll be unfair yeah. to say we've lived it. I don't. Yeah. I think we've fair to say that you've, you've not had pressure expectations no, I put think, upon you. I think the, 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 the main, main thing is freedom. If a wife has got gifting and energy and desire in a sense of the Lord calling a two particular ministries in the church then that she should be supported and encouraged to do that but there should be no assumption that just because she's married to a minister that that is um that is what's expected of her i think that's really pressurizing and as you said unkind um, is it a generational expectation in other words folk of an older generation have that mindset maybe folk of a younger generation i mean you, you guys i see you as a a, a bridge generation you're well, young yeah, enough to draw, <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 is there a generational mindset here i i think that younger people i'm talking sort of 35s down um want to live a lot more boundary lives um, in the workplace and in the church. That culture of bleeding for the cause, the evangelical churches, um, I think that's moving out. Now, let me be clear here. I'm not saying that a young generation is, is necessarily not as committed, 
but I think they're more careful and cautious about commitment. Um, they they know that they know that yeah, just that really. And I think so. I think that tips over into um, ministry couples as well. I think we've we've seen a lot on social media and elsewhere pastors' wives being a, a, quite upfront about what they don't do. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I mean, uh, away that a little bit, I was brought up in a generation that the phrase was saved to serve. Okay. Yes. So yes. when I left seminary, yeah. there was no question about where, you know, you would take a call, you would take a call up to the the Celtic fringe and the edge of a Highlands or you would, you know, within a, you know, walking distance of a nice Edinburgh coffee shop. It it really didn't matter. The perception is that there is not that mentality today, save to serve is not there. You know, Mm. what he feeds me, I will swallow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Um, Give me me some feedback on that save to serve thing. Mm. Should there be limits on it? I mean, we believe it with all our hearts. Um, as a couple, um, hmm. yeah, I think I, I do think there is a, a generational difference. I think it is it's kind of just in the air that that we breathe now. The attitude that we, you know, in the secular world, that we we hmm. concern for our own well being. That actually well being is dependent on uh, space and time and limits. Uh, that your uh, our personal identity is formed by the individual not by the culture and community around them that's something that is self-generated not not something which is given um and that runs counter to to scriptural teaching doesn't it about our the who we are is our identity is given to us by god and is shaped and formed by by our church community we are sisters and brothers and um well i think you guys in many ways modeled it you know your first pastor was in chiswick and you know who who would not want to live in in chiswick and then you know from a human point of view no disrespect to huddersfield but you move from chiswick to huddersfield your university friends would say are you mad? Yeah. Um, and and uh, are, yeah. You, are you mad? Yeah. And I <laughs> I think we discovered, slowly it dawned on me that, that people thought that things must have been going badly wrong in London or there was some great big stink that we left in a hurry because kind of, you know, who would go to Huddersfield? It's a great place in so many ways, but it's a, it's a really struggling place, a place full of need. That's why we came. Yeah, and it's not comfortable. Yeah. And it's not been easy. And but, going back to the couples thing, was that a joint decision or did you do the old leadership thing? No. Honey, we're going to Yorkshire. No, my, well, my leadership, by the hair. <laughs> my leadership thing was, although I came to this settled conviction, we both prayed and fasted like crazy. We took counsel of people, including yourself, David, people that knew us, maybe knew the church in London or others who knew West Yorkshire and Huddersfield. I came to a settled conviction that it was the Lord's will a good number of weeks before Sarah did, and I didn't mention that at all to her because although I was convinced it was the Lord's will, if she was not sure, I felt I needed to reread his providence and say, no, it's not the Lord's will. We've had some very tough times since we've been here, and I never wanted, I'm not the wisest man, but God gave me wisdom before we made that decision 
to know that we could not move because I thought it was right and then encounter those hard times and have us potentially with a lot of conflict saying, well, you thought we should come. I didn't. Mm. So in God's wonderful grace, he put that settled conviction in both of our hearts. And everything was happy amidst the hard work and straight ministry in London. But it was because it was happy. We thought this is a wonderful, happy church. I had a lovely WhatsApp message from one of my friends in London last night. How could they pray for us? in their yeah. prayer meeting this evening. So lots of very happy ongoing relationships. Mm. We felt we had to give them back to the Lord and, and put our energies and gifting in a place where we thought there might be more need. Good. Yeah, and I think, yeah, going back to, to this that sense of calling and the Lord's leading, that that for me, I was praying, I was fasting, searching my heart. But one of the one of the significant things leading me was my sense that Lewis was convinced about this and that that for me was part of my guidance that as a wife I'm called to uh there's a there's a calling to mutual submission but there's also a calling to my wifely submission to uh, and so to find a part of the leading and direction that came from the Lord came through my understanding of how he was leading Lewis okay Okay, let's let's move on. You cited the example of a minister's wife, maybe a neurosurgeon or a barrister or a nurse or a bus driver or a plumber. Um, what about the minister's wife who says, listen, I've got a job. I'm going to give no extra commitment to the church beyond that of an ordinary member. Now, remember the, the podcast has been listened to by pastors, pastors' wives, but also by just ordinary church members who are looking at expectations of, of the minister. So comment on that. Yeah, I think I think there's there's two things there. A a woman can easily have a calling to a to a clear career, job, whatever that is, just as you said, somebody which something which is up from the surface level high powered, something which is which is less high powered, but equally a, a calling from God and a gifting to to that service and that might mean that she doesn't get involved in running a coffee morning or leading a women's bible study it might be that she doesn't have the gifting to do those things um and i think that that is completely in line with how the lord leads people however they're just being a pastor's wife involves something more than being a church member because you are you are putting uh, in the same direction. You are praying together. You are uh, bearing the burden of some of the things that other people in the congregation will just never know. Uh, you'll you'll be caring for your husband as he bears a burden. And I think, as we've talked about the um, yeah the change in culture uh, in church culture and this kind of maybe some slackening of the sense of of putting up with hardship um as a as a disciple of Christ but i think also there is a there's a slackening in the difference and the otherness of what pastoral ministry looks like and a sense that it is it's 
maybe just another job but it isn't just another job there are um pressures and hardships that that you encounter in ministry which are which are different from being a teacher or being a a doctor being a surgeon being a bus driver and so a pastor's wife will be bearing those burdens even if just on the surface she looks like she's maybe not doing very much um she's turning up to the prayer meeting and she's she's there on a sunday but she's maybe not doing anything externally but she will be bearing burdens and if she's not if she's a bit resistant and reluctant to share in that work, um, mm. then I think that can can cause yeah. cause real problems, tension between the couple, mm. and a sense of isolation for the pastor if he feels his wife isn't isn't prepared to to listen or not interested mm. in in this, just those behind the scene burdens. So, if I were discerning a, a man's call to eldership or the pastorate. Uh, and his wife said, you know, I have this job. I won't be giving anything additional to the church. I just want to dig into that. If she's saying that because actually she would love to because her heart is for the church, but she just can't, then that's fine. But often that said and behind it is a, is a fearful heart or, or a resentful heart. Um, and that needs very, very careful, respectful exploration. Because as I said before, it, it's often the unhappiness of a wife, which does derail ministries and shorten pastorates. Yeah. And I think another thing is just the the willingness of a of a wife just to to let the husband go, or quite often to to have those evenings when the husband's out or gets the phone call and needs to leave, or the the early mornings uh, and the and the you know the pressures on a Sunday. It's those pinch points, those differences, and. Um, and a wife who go, yes, I'm really happy for my husband to serve in this way, but I need him here in these X, Y, Z situations. He has to be around for bedtime routine with children or I can't give up a Saturday because I'm at work all the week and I can't let my husband go out to whatever church events are running. Those things then can be, can could create real strain for the husband uh, and actually the just that that reluctance to see what church service is like how demanding it is um yeah it's going to yeah i, I mean i i'm just finished reading this this novel it's called uh, ice it's a secular novel it's by ula lena lundberg um really really nice novels is a story it's about a lutheran pastor and his wife who go to the the uland islands which is off the coast of of um, finland and she talks there someone about, in scotland is it David, uh, it's up, up, up north somewhere, it's up north. Cold. And she ta- she talks there about, you know, the, the church being like the, the other woman, the competition. And mm-hmm. I kind of, mm. she's not in a, in a better way. It's, it's I'm not doing a full book review here, but, you know, it's, it's really nice. Let, let me move, move swiftly on. Mm. We, we have a lot of ground to cover. I want to ask you one really specific question that a lot of people might wonder about. Um in my circles, a lot of folk may want to talk about something confidential. There are times, I've heard people even say that they envy Roman Catholics because they can go into a confession box and they can talk to a priest and tell them something that uh, will never, ever, ever be divulged. 
Mm. Uh, now, in our circles, as long as it's not a criminal act or, or, or most a certain criminal act, that will not be divulged. Mm. How far is confidentiality? If a pastor is told something in confidence, should he tell his wife? I'll go first, if I may. We're living in an age where we're all very nervous about our data and our details and where it's going. And I think that actually extends to, you know, our personal lives. Humans have always been private, always been scared to open up. Maybe it's because I do detect the culture shifting a little. Maybe I'm just growing in a bit of life experience and wisdom. Um, but I feel as I'm beginning a relationship with folks who come into church who want to get connected, that I find hopefully a not too heavy and very concise way of saying, well, this is how I operate. And I, I say, I'll have, I'll have coffees with anybody. I almost never spend time with women one-to-one -one unless it's absolutely essential, in which case Sarah knows where that is. And she's in a public place or in a house where Sarah's there, etc. But then I talk about, if you want to, I say, you will choose a level with me. Um, I, I say, I'm always interested in people and I want to go deeper, but I try not to dig. So they feel that they are, they're safe to choose a level with me and grow in their trust in me, which does hopefully come in time. Um, and then I will say to them, usually this is not the first time that might be a bit overwhelming, but as we, as we go deep and if they, they signal they want to unburden themselves, I will say, what you say is only said to me. It's not, yeah. I won't share this with my wife or the other elders unless you want me to. I might say something like, if actually I feel there's a need to, I will bring that back to you. So I just get more and more careful as the years go on because you, we all know this. You say one thing once about somebody's business to somebody else and it gets back to them. That trust is pretty much broken forever or takes a very long time to rebuild. So, yeah. so Sarah and I lead, lead quite siloed lives. She's, I mean, you can cover on this in a minute, Sarah, but she's many hours a week seeing people who seek her out. We don't have a salaried women's worker. People have discerned that Sarah's a woman of theological maturity and integrity and spiritual maturity. So they make their way to her or, or, you know, she gives herself to people. I often have a sense of what's spoken about because I may know the individual a bit, but it's not shared with me. At the same time, I don't share stuff with her. Um, and often we might just gently remind people of that so that they can grow in confidence with us. If they, sometimes we counsel people or couples together. Obviously, that's different. Am I, am I waffling? Do you want to come in on that? I don't think that's, qualify it? Go on, David, you're going to ask something. No, Sarah, just, just comment. If I tell you something in confidence, will you tell Lewis? Depends if it's a safeguarding matter, David. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wouldn't. Uh, no, I, I think... It would be, yeah, it would be, do you <laughs> Sorry, want me to? You'd probably be directed, David, towards me. Yes, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Before that conversation really got anywhere. Yeah, yeah. But I think that, I think there's a, it, it kind of depends on what it is. And that would be discussed. You know, it'd be something yeah. that you might so, say. So, yeah, so you would almost uh, establish a contract with the people. Mm -hmm. in the, that sounds a bit high-floating, yes. but yeah, 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 this yeah. is our confidentiality yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. you say me only me only, you know, you dictate the parameters of... of, of yeah, sharing. and because okay. we're... I think this has helped, I'll be as concise as I can. Because we've had some transfer growth, we can never assume that Christians from different churches understand what my role is. 
but understand where Sarah fits in. Yeah. So a recent visit to a wonderful couple, um, they just assumed that both of us would be going. I never crossed my mind. I thought I was going, uh, they'd been around for a few months, just to, to tell them a bit more about the church. Yeah. But clearly we were picking up a signal. They wanted both of us there. And so we both went. And in the course of the conversation, when it came up, the stuff we talked about at the beginning of this interview about I'm called to eldership, I have that office authority. Sarah does not. We don't share it. What's said to me is said to me only and vice versa. I think so you alluded to this. They were just so surprised. And and actually, yeah. I think, greatly relieved. Okay. Because there was clarity there. Right. M- moving on, uh, an area I think of potential conflict is the whole complementarian egalitarian issue and, and divide uh this podcast is produced by the free church of scotland we are complementarian uh you guys are fic you are complementarian i want talk a little bit about these terms do you think they're good terms what do you understand by them uh, Sarah, I want you to go first on, on, on this one. I want Sarah to go first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are they good terms? Um, I think they're increasingly difficult terms because of the conversation around them, but I don't want to let go of those terms because I do think they have theological meaning. They, you, you know, they're not biblical terms, are they? But they are convenient terms to to describe positions that we take in interpreting Scripture. So the... Um, so. I think increasingly there's a diversity of views expressed within the complementarian label. So almost particularly uh, comparing the UK with with the US, I think it's different in the US, um, yeah, because of their recent history and different expressions of church there uh, and what complementarian looks like. In the UK and in our church scene, how do I understand complementarianism? It's a it's trying to be faithful to the clarity of scripture on the difference of between men and women's roles in the home, in marriages, and in churches. Um, it doesn't extend beyond that uh, necessarily, um, and and it speaks of mutual uh, mutual care, respect equally created in the image of God, similar uh, and yet some differences. And those differences, which then relate to male headship in the church, male eldership and male headship within marriage uh, and female submission. So that's the kind of simple clarity. Okay. Now, you say it as, you know, a modern, educated, you know, brought up in a a liberal, I use that in a technical sense, society, and enjoying all the the freedoms of of the West. Are are you happy with complementarianism? Yeah, I'm happy with complementarianism. I think my I teach English in a in a big sixth form college. My very feminist department would be horrified. I think really horrified and not know what to do with my opinions. Um, about this but I am comfortable because I think it coheres with how I'm made uh, with who I am as a woman I'm I think the order that is uh, described just works um, in that it in that there's a mutuality 
uh, and there's also difference. And I think that's a kind of mutuality and difference is something that is that is a hallmark of God's creation. It doesn't just describe male female relationships, but I think it is 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 you know runs throughout Scripture in different areas. Um, so I, I feel it's consistent with a with a with the whole of Scripture. I think it's consistent with with how men and women are similar, um, the same in fact, but also different. Um, and it, uh, yeah, it leads to mutual flourishing. Great, thank you, Lewis. I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with her, David. Um, I'm very persuaded that unless those of us who pastor Godman and churches work very, very hard, our church will, our churches will always appear sexist, and more than that, they will actually be sexist, because there's a there's a satisfaction amongst many in our camps that are oh, we're complementarian we believe in male only leadership male only preaching and there's insufficient thought and activity about how we affirm and promote women's ministry and train women for ministry and unless we're really proactive our sunday gatherings will always look really quite sexist now we don't want to win the world that we've got it right on gender things because they'll never agree with us unless they, 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 they're converted to have a deep trust in the scriptures. But we, we need to work hard to honour the women in our congregation for God's glory, regardless of what the world thinks of it. We, I try to ensure that every service I'm leading, there's a female voice that may be in prayers or testimony, giving notices, Bible reading, bringing word of encouragement. We do a thing um, monthly in our evening services. It's always a preaching service, but we have short slots and we scroll bringing prayer items, uh, a doctrinal slot, which men do because we think that's an authoritative teaching. Um, and then there's a little supper. But then once a month we have uh, what we call a gospel life, which is a 10 minute, very concise biography of a Christian man or woman. And where there are, where there are gifted women who are able to and keen to do that, we want to hear them. So Sarah did a brief biography on uh, on a 19th century um, evangelical woman on Sunday night. That was deeply edifying, pretty the high point. Who was it? What was her name? Give me a name. Uh, Josephine Butler. Josephine Butler. Yeah, so very famous. Um, uh, she she campaigned uh, for uh, the rights and protection of women uh, in uh, who were, were prostitutes, but also others who were not prostitutes, changed the age of consent. So, in the UK, and poured out a personal fortune doing this. Yeah, you've written on her. Yeah, I've written on her. So. Okay, okay. Again, like, moving on quickly because we we're just kind of extending that a little bit. How how can a woman teach the Bible in a complementarian context? You know, the caricature is often women in the kitchen, you know, guys in the Bible. Um, I want to see women uh, having great, uh, as our Cornhill friends would say, Bible handling um, and gifts. Yeah. How how is it done? I think there's so many opportunities because there's so much Bible teaching that goes on in churches that isn't the pulpit ministry. Um, so whether that's women uh, one-to-one uh, instructing, teaching each other, uh, discipleship, whether it's small group, women teaching women. Uh, I think there's also cases for uh, women exhorting mixed congregations from the scriptures in a way that isn't preaching, whether that's 
in situations of uh, kind of midweek. If a woman got special expertise um, in a particular area, teaching in seminary, writing books, uh, kind of applying scripture, um, thinking more widely in kind of cultural uh, cultural teaching. There's so many areas which are not the authoritative Sunday leading the congregation, uh, directing the congregation and and teaching the congregation in that pulpit ministry. So I think there's a, dis, there's a that's a distinct area um, which has a, a unique authority within the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's lots and lots of other places. And, and couples can do all sorts of ministry together. So we would do marriage prep or we do evangelism. We're doing some uh, refresher Saturday morning stuff on just the basics of faith and discipleship would open the Bible together. There is, is a course of, of authority and teaching in that which need to be navigated. Um, but it, it's not that Sarah would sit silently in the corner if I'm opening the Bible in a small group context. But how we do that affirming male headship, that's, you know, that takes some thought and care. Yeah. If I think evangelism is one area that's really underplayed and historically women have been so used of God in evangelism, in public evangelism, in uh, speaking to women and uh, groups, uh, opening the scriptures in an evangelistic way. Uh, And I think we so uh, dismiss that today. And I think it's fair to say that our 21st century complementarianism is a lot less proactive in affirming and releasing women into ministry than, say, 19th century mm-hmm. complementarianism was. There were legions of, of female workers. Um, we need to know our church history better and and think what models could work in our day. Yeah, I think we see that also in, in the Free Church of Scotland where there were, I think, in the 19th century, actually women were far more involved in evangelism. Yes. The yes. Women followed the, the fishing fleets around yes. the, the yes. coasts mm-hmm. ministering yeah. to uh, the herring women and, yes. and people yeah. Yeah. Uh, like that. Um, moving swiftly on, I mean, time is, is flying here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the single minister. I mean, I think of two great models of a single minister, John Stott, of course, and uh, also William Still up here in Aberdeen. Um, <laughs> is a single minister to be taken seriously? I've never been a single minister. Um, I, with all my heart, absolutely. And Good. seen as entire and complete. Um, not, oh, can we fix him up with somebody? He must be ever so lonely. Single ministers must be played with the good intentions, but heartbreakingly clumsy efforts of their congregants. Um, so do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think almost we shouldn't be asking the question, should we? Because there's so many precedents, not only, you know, the Apostle Paul um as as single ministers i think they they have you know so many have great gifts and opportunities uh, that that married ministers lack the opportunities in terms of flexibility of time uh, lack of uh, of some commitments and so yeah we should be encouraging yeah. and supporting um single ministers and and not making any assumptions that they're desperate to be married maybe they are yeah. maybe they aren't 
Yeah, I, I often think that a minister's job, a pastor teacher's job is to expound the Bible. Uh, so we've got to be really careful. I mean, I was ordained at the tender age of 23. Uh, a lot of folk would say, oh, we should never have a young minister or someone who's got no experience of life. <clears throat> you know, I always said, well, I did have experience of life. You know, someone said, oh, that was just university. And well, the last time I looked, it is a form of, of life. And, you know, my upbringing wasn't particularly simple. Uh, so... No one pastor is personally exposed to every single issue yeah. pastorally. Um, yeah. But some of the best preaching I've heard recently on marriage was by Vaughan Roberts at Keswick. Yeah. It was just masterful mm -hmm. the way he opened up the Song of Songs. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And let's be very careful not to patronise or relativise younger pastors. They're actually not more humble and aware of their shortcomings and eager to reach out to and learn from more established Christians. It might be sometimes a pride on the congregation's part. They don't want to submit to the authority of a younger man, wrapped up as, but we're very mature Christians, we need a mature man looking after us. You can be young and mature. Yeah. Okay, well, let, let's draw things to a conclusion. So you, you've been in, in ministry your, your entire married life. Have you, as a couple, enjoyed it? I mean, would you rather have been a, a, a classics teacher in some poor school in the middle of, 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 of home counties having a nice, <laughs> a nice life? You know, that, that, that could have been yours teaching. It could have been You'd have more fishing opportunities. I'd have more fly yeah. fishing opportunities. Teaching would, yeah. Greek to the, the, the wealthy oh, kids David, of Essex. Don't tempt or, me. Or uh, uh, don't tempt uh, me. So uh, in conclusion, yeah. comments, has yeah. it been a good life? Gosh. God is faithful. He is so good, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> you should have been a politician. <laughs> that sounds like yeah, that sounds very coded, doesn't it? I I, so, I sometimes say to friends in ministry, my joy is that I've never really done anything else. I'm not like the people who've got to forty or forty-five and they've had um, a lot of the kind of privileges of a of you know going up the pay scale, the professional ladder, etc., etc. Uh, and then had what they have all said to me is the most unbelievable shock of coming into the stresses of pastoral ministry. This is us. I could not imagine not serving the Lord in, in this way. Um, it's hard. I don't know if I enjoy pastoral ministry particularly at this season of my life. Um, I know that sounds a bit dark. But I think we're, we're in that season of life where, you know, we're, we're in midlife. It's it's tiring. It's complicated. Um, there is a But there are massive joy. joys. There are massive joys. The, but, the joy of seeing people grow in grace yeah. and be changed, having that kind of ringside immediate uh, opportunity to see yeah. God's work you, and see transformation. Yeah. You see it's the amazing. best and you see the worst. Mm -hmm. And it's it's very easy as a pastor to fixate on the worst and what's broken and where you failed and where people are struggling. But then you hear glorious stories. Uh, the, the people who are coming around, one of our asylum-seeking family, and serving them amazingly, which we've not asked them to do. And you hear about that and your heart just sings. Mm -hmm. So there are many joys 
but I think we're just realistic. You know, there's pain, there's 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 cost. We need more of the Holy Spirit's power to make us eager and joyful in in paying out and giving out, and not waiting for reward or affirmation or acknowledgement, but just to keep on giving and keep on going. So that's a very timely question. I think, least, David, I think thank you. one answer is also they just the in ministry we we just know we can't we are so weak and things are hard and so we so need to depend on the Holy Spirit's work and to be in the Word to be changed and strengthened by it and I think that itself is a real privilege because I don't know, maybe it would be so easy to drift if we were both teachers and we could just keep on trotting on, coming out on Sunday and doing bits and pieces in church and thinking we were okay. Though many teachers are really serving joyfully and fruitfully. But but this keeps us, yeah. We are, yeah, we we see close up our weakness and we are, and and the temptation to grow complacent or bitter or all the rest of it. and, And we know we can't. We yeah. can't do that, so we have to yeah. keep coming back to the word and keep praying, mm. and and so that's that's the painful and the difficult bit, uh, often. But just uh, going back to what you're saying, the the joy of walking with people, and I so often find it's spending time with people who are really suffering and struggling, and seeing God's grace. Some of my most encouraging times and times of greatest joy almost have been. Mm spending time week by week or fortnight by fortnight with people women going through uh, awful divorces or bereavement or all kinds of pain and spending time with them and seeing their trust in the lord hearing their Mm. stories of how god has been good to them has done me so much good um and that's a joy that i wouldn't have otherwise i'm great good god for that time is up so thank you thank you so much for, for giving all, all of your time. I hope our listeners will Google Hope Church Huddersfield. Uh, if you're in the Huddersfield area, call in. You will enjoy the church. Please pray for Lewis and Sarah. Um, we thank them for coming and being candid with us. Thank you also to our listeners for continuing um, the Healthy Gospel Church podcast. Again, this is a series. We, we try to do three series each year or between six and eight podcasts each, just talking to ordinary folk about ordinary things. Thank you for your support. Tell other people about this podcast. If you're in the car, uh, listen to us. If you're out jogging, running, listen to us. Uh, There's been an explosion of podcasts, but we've been going for years and we are grateful to our increasing listenership. Lewis and Sarah, thank you. Thanks for having us, David. It's been very encouraging.